electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. It's Jim Cramer here. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Don't miss a minute of the action. Good Friday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer and David Faber. Stocks are taking aim for five straight gains today, something we've not done since August. J&J submits the vaccine. The Senate clears away for stimulus. A jobs number has some personality at 49K, but the unemployment rate is the lowest since March. Our roadmap begins with the return of job growth. We'll get the first reaction from the White House later on this hour. Plus the retail trader rebellion, perhaps not so. New data suggests that institutional investors, and we've talked about this, were key drivers of the recent GameStop volatility. And how about that competition in the electric vehicle industry? An Apple electric car on the horizon? Well, we're going to get the outlook for the industry with the CEO of Lucid Motors, Carl, in just a few minutes. All right, guys. Let's kick this off, Jim. You know, it's been said that the market really is relying on three pillars, stimulus, vaccine and earnings. And with the VIX this morning below 22, it does appear that all three pots are boiling. Yes. Look, Carl, I hate to say that it's uh, Pangloss because obviously that's chimerical. But this really is a moment where we had a lot of people get negative. If you recall Monday, we even had some chief strategists saying, look, this, it's, this, what happened last week is really a top. It clearly wasn't a top. We're focused front and center on some great numbers. Uh, the backdrop of the employment number makes it so that we really don't have to worry about uh, Fed Chief Powell, what he says. Obviously, Secretary Yellen going to try to hammer out a, a stimulus deal. I'm very gratified by the AstraZeneca news just this morning that perhaps a, a vaccine that works against the new strain, because we have so many people coming out and saying new strains can't be stopped. I'd like to put that uh, uh, just I don't put it in a box. Let's just say that a lot of the drug companies are working very hard to make it so that we are able to have a normal life within three, four, maybe five months. David, will it not be something when we all get together, we're vaccinated and we say to ourselves, OK, I'm feeling pretty good. What should I do now? Uh, yeah. And hopefully there'll be plenty of things to choose from. I think the one thing a lot of us will do is just choose to be together, which would be nice. Um, and congregate and eat and celebrate. So we all look forward to that. Hey, Jim, by the way, do you have an estimate? I mean, I know you're going to be getting round two pretty soon. But when do you when do you think and in light of the jobs number and the overall conversation, of course, they've been having for the last hour on Squawk Box about the economy? When is, when is your expectation that 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 we will have widespread vaccination and therefore that ability to start uh, to really Andrew- resume? Sure. After the, the J&J last night, I really think that we're talking about uh, Sanko de Mayo. Why do I say that? Because that's the day I intend to open bar San Miguel again. I, look, David, I, I think that <laughs> there's going to be this moment. We seem to be able to have uh, finally getting the vaccine to places where people are, are able to access it. And I think when J&J, even though I know it wasn't perfect, it does say, look, no deaths, no hospitalization. We're getting to the point where people say, you know what, this is going to happen. It's inevitable. Let me go book a cruise. Let me go take a trip. Uh, In December, I want to be somewhere else. 
will be roaring 20s. It could be like the end of the pandemic, the Spanish flu. So I think it's I think we're talking for uh, four months, David. I don't think we're talking six months anymore. There's just too much in the pipeline. J&J up three ahead of this is a little odd since I think this is one of the more predictable things that could happen. But this uh, government that we have now seems like it's not fighting the tape, the tape of the disease. And that's very important. Let's everybody remember, it's still, you got to still wear masks. I am worried about super spreader events. Carl, you know that when people get together and their voices are loud and they are even outside, you're going to have another level again of infection. So let's not get depressed. It's going to happen. But the uh, cavalry is here. The cavalry is here, and some of it's J&J, some of it's Pfizer, some of it's Moderna, some of it's AstraZeneca. I'm going to be talking to Sanofi. They, they did not deliver, but they might have something in the pipe. I like what I'm seeing, and by the way, let's give the Russians credit, Carl. Sputnik V is a big, big win. Yep, yep. and that has big implications uh, for Russia and Europe, obviously. Dr. Gottlieb on Squawk this morning, Jim, suggested if you get the emergency use for J&J at the beginning of March, um, Really, by the end of March is when availability starts to explode. And then you're looking at a situation where, as you said, by May, June, uh, you're looking at most adults uh, having gotten it. That leads you to what Treasuries are doing this morning. Ten year now, 118. 30 year, Jim, 198. We've been talking about this increasingly as the spread now. Is it a six year high? Well, look, I. I know the bank stocks have been strong. That's one of the groups that you want to buy in this uh, in this moment. We're still seeing incredible housing numbers. We're still seeing exodus from uh, from the inner cities. Uh, we, we're seeing so much economic activity. I had Rockwell Automation on last night. They were talking about gigantic growth in orders. Gigantic. We're going to have Ford on later. I mean, geez, these numbers are good. So I see a lot that's good. Uh, what's bad? Obviously, people are still getting sick. And uh, people are still at Clorks last night and people still don't have enough wipes. So I, I think that there is a it's a cross it's a cross moment where there are a lot of people, Carl, who believe that uh, you still want to own some companies that do well uh, when you're hunkering down. Nesting is the term. But when I see all the different recommendations today for mall stores, for people who go out, these are the, I'm talking about the Coles, the L Brands, their tapestry, a Ralph Lauren footlocker. If someone uh, posits that maybe Nike buys them, I don't know about that. But what I say to myself is the street is prepared to open up and the Peloton may be the one, the one sticking point. Peloton is not an open up stock. Peloton is a stay close stock. I think that's going to be uh, the fulcrum. Carl, I got to tell you, I think that's the fulcrum for what's going to occur today, because if you think that Peloton goes higher, what you're saying is, wow, you know what? We're locked down. But, David, if you think that when we get situations like I have Brunswick on tonight, which is considered to be a, a company you, you uh, buy boats because there's no place to hang out uh, that's safe. Well, I don't know. I mean, that's another one that's a fulcrum name. We are at a moment, David, where I'm really not quite sure how quickly we can open. But I do know that once we open, you're not going to do the same things that you've been doing. Oh, uh, gosh, I hope not. I really please. I need to change. Uh, some change. But yes, <laughs> you're right. Uh, one well, thing you've I never shopped anyway. Yeah, no, I never shopped. And I've been able to keep swimming, thankfully. So I'll, no Peloton for me. But, you know, you mentioned it, Jim. We did see it was down. There is a downgrade this morning to market perform on valuation, as you might expect. Of course, they had a very strong quarter, uh, Peloton, to your point. Uh, but we'll keep an eye on the stock because uh, Raymond James talking, of course, as you'd expect, tough second comparison, uh, second half comparisons. Not the only company that has been a beneficiary, of course, of the lockdown or of it's not a lockdown anymore, but certainly of people staying home, Jim. 
Uh, we had this conversation yesterday with Jamie Iannone from, uh, from eBay as well. There are any number of these companies that were part of that Kramer index. I mean, at what point do you start to say, all right, right forget right. it. Don't own them and don't buy them. Uh, now? Okay. I mean, there's a lot of different situations where I really question uh, whether I've had a tough conversation uh, with Linda, uh, Linda Rindle yesterday from Clorox. I, I, I'm searching for something that tells me why I want to buy a company that's going to have a radical decline in the organic growth. When you look at Peloton, David, you will absolutely love this. Okay, so BMO comes out today and says it has a market cap that is 22% of Netflix. All right, that's another uh, software-derived business, but it's less than 1% of its subs. Now, they also came in last night and they said, listen, we've got to spend $100 million to be sure that you actually get our machines uh, because of, of port issues. I don't know. I, I don't know, David. I mean, Peloton's been terrific. It is heavily shorted. Forty-six. Uh, oh, read it. Uh, there's it's forty-six a billion dollar market cap. Yes. But in the end, do I want to own Peloton, David? I think I want to own a company uh, that does incredibly well when we open up. And I'm not quite sure whether Peloton's going to do as well as uh, as some of the companies that are actually in the mall, which I know are the malls hated, but it, they could actually still go higher. Really? Not kidding. But not well, GameStop. Oh, GameStop's, not, GameStop's in the mall, but it's not going higher. Or is it? No, but Activision no. Blizzard shows you why it doesn't. Activision Blizzard, Bobby Kotick, with just a tour de force number. Yep. They, by the way, Candy Crush is still incredibly popular, uh, raises the dividend. Does he mention GameStop? No. Why? Because you don't get your stuff from GameStop right. for right. Activision Blizzard. Boy, Activision Blizzard, I don't know, David, how much time you spend on Call of Duty or the World of Warcraft uh, candy, but uh, my wife plays candy every night, particularly when I'm trying to talk to her about anything seriously. She yeah. doesn't watch the show, so I'm okay. Yeah, you are. And, and uh, she watches candy. Any, any, anytime there's a scary movie, she takes out candy. I, I don't know. I, when I, I can't multitask like that. When I'm watching a scary movie, I actually watch a scary movie. But clearly, Carl, Activision Blizzard has the pulse, and EA didn't. Remember, EA did not do the number. There are, uh, in industries, we're seeing people who know how to do it and people who don't. Yeah. Glad you yeah. mentioned uh, ATVI uh, guiding above as many companies yeah. have been doing this this week, at least on yeah. March quarter revenues. So, Jim, if you if you are looking for reopening plays, I mean, Kohl's has gone from 20 to almost 50 in a matter of 90 days. Or maybe it's uh, maybe it's travel, although I've been wondering, I've been wanting to ask you whether or not the airline recovery play is going to get a little fuzzy, given that oil is now the highest in a year. I think it is a little fussy. You want a reopening play, you have to go with who reopened first. Well, it was Asia. And who, be able, who was able to handle that and capitalize off of it was Estee Lauder EL. Uh, that, that's uh, Fabrizio Freda. I've got Fabrizio on tonight. Fabrizio put up numbers that are double-digit for different, uh, different kinds of uh, – some of us aren't that aware of, of uh, what really costs a lot of money when it comes to cosmetics. But La Mer, uh, double-digit. Uh, online sales growth in every single region, 873 million uh, this year versus 557 last year. Skincare very strong. Hero brands. When I speak to them tonight, those are the brands that that people just love. And this is do free. It's Asia. I think El is going to become the primary name that people talk about when they go out. Remember, it it was good when it was a uh, selfie generation, and then it was good when it was a Zoomy generation. Now you've got both. You've got to keep your skin care, and you've got to look great. This is an Asian story coming to the United States. There's your open story, Estee Lauder. Yeah, it's interesting. You've come back to that. They seem to have been not particularly hurt, though, from, the, from, from people staying 
home. What about Ulta, Jim? A name, another name that you've focused on that is much more on the retail side there in terms of at least getting people to come in I and like put makeup Ulta. on. I like Ulta very much. I like Ulta very much. Remember, they good deal with Target. The one that you mentioned, Kohl's. David, do you know that during this period of great morass that Kohl's latched on to Sephora? which, remember, was a JCPenney outfit, and yes. that's a lot of the growth that Kohl's is happening. Uh, it, uh, very, congratulations to Kohl's. For, that was a total coup to get Sephora because people love Sephora. They just love it. Carl, it's one of everybody's favorite brands. Yeah. Uh, Goose as well. Canada Goose is going to open that day. Uh, well, it, more than a one-year high once again today. Two upgrades on Goose, largely an Asian story, as, as David mentions. We'll take a break here. Man, there's a lot coming up this hour on this Friday morning. We're going to talk to the CEO of Ford, Jim Farley, about the quarter, the chip shortage, obviously the huge bet on EVs. And then speaking of EVs, an exclusive with the CEO of luxury startup Lucid Motors is coming up after the break. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. As the competition in the electronic vehicle or electric vehicle industry heats up with a possible entry by Apple, Lucid Motors, well, it's one of the EV startups that has garnered a great deal of attention. We're very happy to have Lucid CEO Peter Rawlinson join us now to discuss the industry overall. Uh, Peter, good to have you. You know, wh where is Lucid's place going to be in this industry, given a potential entrant from Apple years from now? But more specifically, Tesla, obviously, uh, GM committing so much to the industry, Ford, and even the luxury automakers in Europe as well starting to ramp things up. Where, do you, where does your company fit? Well, you see our very first vehicle, the Lucid Air, in the background behind me, and we're aiming initially, unashamedly, at the luxury space. 
Luxury cars are dominated by the Grandi marks, Mercedes, Audi, BMW, Porsche, and they all have one thing in common. They're all gasoline. So there isn't an electric luxury car available in the market. That's our first position. But progressively, we'll make cars more affordable and we'll increase our volume accordingly. You are going to start rather small, of course. I think it's what annual capacity, the first phase of 34,000 units. You expect to produce six to 7,000 units this year. Is that correct? And we're talking about where? A starting price for that vehicle around $70,000? That's absolutely right. The air starts at around 70,000, goes right up to 161,500 uh, for the dream edition, the model we're going to start with, a fantastic car. And we've already built our first phase of our factory in Arizona, which is good for 34,000 units. But that site ultimately will be capable of producing 400,000 cars a year when we implement phase four with our six-year plan. When is phase four coming? Mid-2020s. Mid-2020. So it's a six-year yeah. plan. Yeah. Um, costs a lot of money to do that. Uh, we had Yasser al on from the PIF last week. Uh, discussing, of course, in part their investment, uh, one of your significant holders. Do you have access to capital that you need in order to actually pull off all those phases? We do indeed. And, and, and the, the Public Investment Fund of Saudi Arabia have been great strategic partners. This is much more than a financial arrangement. This is a long-term strategic partnership. You're absolutely right. This is a capital-intensive business. But we've taken the approach. We need to be vertically integrated. There is no substitute for having in-house manufacturing and an in-house retail experience. So we're having our manufacturing in-house and all our studios, our studios, our retail studios, and we've already opened six of those right across the U.S. Uh, Peter, Jim Kramer, uh, as we talk, I'm exploring the idea of reserving with a credit card the uh, Air Dream Edition, $161,000. Why am I doing that? Because it's available summer of 2021. How many other people are reserving their various Lucid Airs right now? And can you give me a sense of the demand each day? Well, it's overwhelming, Jim, and I'm really glad you have impeccable tastes, sir. Um, we have a bulging <laughs> order book. It's growing daily as people are becoming much more aware of us as a, as a company, as a brand. Uh, we were pretty silent. We were in almost stealth mode until our global reveal just last September. I like the car to do the talking, uh, and, you know, it's going to be an amazing product when it comes out th- this year. But what do we do? I know you work with Elon Musk. You've got a a cordial relationship with him. This is 517 uh, miles projected range, 800 horsepower. Obviously, that's a zero to 60. I don't know in two seconds. What makes me what makes me want to pay this much more than a Tesla? Everybody loves Tesla, don't they? I mean, high consumer satisfaction, that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, Tesla's done an amazing job. And that's what's placed it in its preeminent position. But Tesla recognizes this is a technology play. This is a technology race. That's why Tesla enjoys such a high market cap. And I'm really disappointed that the traditional uh, auto industry hasn't really taken up that baton and really compete with Tesla at the top table. 
Now, our car is competing overtly in the luxury space against the likes of Mercedes-Benz. So I don't really see us as a direct competitor as Tesla in the product. But it is a very valid comparison to compare us with Tesla in terms of our technology. And in a sense, Lucid is very similar position to where Tesla was 10 years ago. Tesla had the tech. The other entries didn't. And we see today a whole phalanx of startups in the EV space. They don't have the in-house technology. That's what differentiates Lucid. In-house technology, world-class electric vehicle tech. Right. Well, well, all right. Just give me a quick example of what that means. What is that? Well, the core metric is efficiency. It's not range per se, because anyone can stuff a whole load of batteries in a car and achieve great range. I could double the size of the battery pack, double the range of the car, couldn't I? And that's pretty dumb. I call that dumb range. And what really matters, the most telling metric of where any electric car company is today, there's a single metric, and that is efficiency. How far can I go per kilowatt hour? And we can go well over four miles per kilowatt hour. This is world-class technology here in the U.S. Lucid's going to take the tank to the next level. That is our mission. All right. Well, Peter, if I want to get a sense for how investors view your company, I need look no further than shares of CCIV. That's the symbol for Churchill Capital Four. It's a SPAC. And I'm sure you're aware of the fact that the speculation around it has been that you will merge with it to go public. Um, Is that the case? Well, you know, I can't comment on any such matters. I can neither um, um, uh, confirm nor deny any such thing. Well, let me ask it in a different way, though, given that we've watched that go up since there was I think it was originally a Bloomberg report saying you were in talks with them. I mean, if you're at one value in terms of the way you're thinking about the company prior to this, and then you watch this stock triple based on the expectation that you will be merging into it. Does that change your own prospects or I should say your own view of the value of Lucid right now in the public markets? Look, I think Lucid uh, value will be truly um, realized when we've got this kind of production. I say every day that until we've made a production car and we start selling to customers, you know, we haven't achieved a damn thing. And the team back at base is working flat out now to industrialize this car as we transition from primarily an engineering, a tech, an R&D company to a phase of our uh, growth where we become a manufacturing entity. Are you going to become a public company, either through IPO or uh, a SPAC? I really cannot comment on that right now, as, as you know. Uh, Peter, quickly, I think you're dead right about EV. I think the oil companies are thinking this is something that's going to be 2035, a lot of time. Can't you just, if, honestly, can't this industry double, triple even by 2030? People don't want combustion engines. They don't want them, Peter. That's not the future. You're so right. You're so right. I couldn't agree more. Uh, absolutely. Electric cars are inherently, inherently so superior to their gasoline counterpart. And I want I want us to be making, you know, lots of cars as soon as possible. We start with a high-end product that defines the brand. And the technology that we're developing for Lucid Air, because we're developing high efficiency, will bring the cost of mass-produced EVs down. Because the most expensive component in that car is the battery pack. And if you can go further, 
go more miles for a given battery size, that's akin to bringing the cost down. And my passion is to be making lots and lots of cars using our advanced technology as soon as possible. It can't happen soon enough. All right. Well, Peter, we're going to be watching closely as we continue to watch so many of the names that we just had up there that already are public companies, of course, in both making the, ba- uh, the vehicles and the batteries. Peter Rawlinson, thank you. Thank you. Still to come this morning, uh, first White House reaction to the jobs number this morning and the road ahead for COVID relief. We'll check in with our friend Jared Bernstein, member of the President's Council of Economic Advisors. Don't go anywhere. Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create, like Olu Sheyi, a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. Welcome back. We'll get straight to the opening bell at the NYSE and the NASDAQ and a look at the S&P at the bottom of your screen. As we said, shooting for our best weekly gain for the, most of the major averages in about three months. Uh, and the Dow and the S&P going for five straight gains, something we haven't done uh, since August. Jim, um, it's, been a, uh, it's going to be a great day of uh, interviews. We're going to talk to Jim Farley of Ford and Evan Spiegel of Snap which uh, had a good number, but some are honing in on this uh, soft EBITDA confer- uh, uh, guidance. Well, look, it, it was a great call until the company ba- basically lowered the boom, said the first two weeks of ads weren't that good because of capital, the capital issue, uh, because of the rebellion. And they also talked about how uh, working with Apple, but some of the Apple privacy issues would matter. But five billion pictures a day uh, uh, tell the story here. I think that this is a stock and this is a company that is really on a breakout they're doing so many things that are right. They were the ones who kept their stock down. I think it would be roaring had Evan uh, just said, look, uh, we've had some momentary uh, problems at the beginning of January, but things are really turning out. I'm very proud of these guys. I remember how skeptical I was. But this, this is a strong demand product. It, it does not have the, um, let's say, the sweetheart image of Pinterest, but that's another one. This is where the money's going. Carl, people are going Ralph Lauren is using the emoji product from Snap for people to dress dress up 500 million times. People love the product. Younger people love the product. They own the demo. Congratulations to Evan. He's pulled it off. Congratulations to Ben Silberman for creating a site that is uh, sweeter and gentler. David, we know that the web can be a brutal place. Mm. You know, for instance, Twitter sometimes you, you see people actually somewhat hammered, right? But when you go into Pinterest, it's just like... It's like a lovey blanket. Is it? It's yeah. a lovey blanket. That's good to hear because I think yeah, my daughter blanket. uses it uh, and enjoys it. I, I'm, I'm not a participant. So I know more about the, the, brutal, the brutal place that Twitter can be, certainly, that you well know, not to mention Reddit, of course, Jim. Um, well, look, stick, sticks and stones may break my bones, which is why I carry thermonuclear weapons. <laughs> is that pocket-sized? I thought you just had a space laser. <laughs> You know, uh, this is one of those days. I keep going back to last Friday. 
Carl, last Friday, the revolution was on, right? I mean, they were storming the Winter Palace. It was to the Finland station. It was about Lenin, uh, frankly, Lenin and Trotsky versus the kulaks and the czars. I don't know. Today it's about activism. Blizzard and Corteva doing well. The seed company and wind resorts coming back. And some of the oil's doing well. I mean, it's kind of like business as usual. I know that there are a lot of people who don't want that because business as usual is really boring, Carl. But you know what? Business as usual is an attempt to make money. That also should play a role, Carl, in the process of what we do. Yeah. But, Jim, you know, we're coming off uh, uh, 10 days or so where, you know, GameStop going from two and a half to 450 in the course of a year indicated to some that market structure was broken. So are we done with that conversation? Well, I think that there'll be, if volume picks up, I don't know whether uh, Robinhood has the controls yet. We don't know. We still don't know who, who gets best price. We don't know whether commission-free is really commission-free. Here's what we know. is last Friday when I was uh, pulling out that catheter, and that's a nasty thing. We don't really have to go too much into it because there's a lot of information. Thank you. Uh, GameStop was at 300 and, and I called in uh, and said that I thought it was too high. And the, what I got back, the blowback on Twitter was so horrendous that my wife actually took away my PC, which was okay because when you have the stitches and the doctors and the nurses and they're probing you, Twitter's just another distraction. But, Carl, in the end, (laughs) GameStop itself, I I searched for words about how stupid, about how ill-advised they've been. They had a chance to reinvent the company. They still have a chance to reinvent the company. This talks back to where it was when it was a really good company. But they said nothing. They hired a technical guy. Um... You know, Carl, I laugh sometimes because there's some people at GameStop right now, right? And they're thinking, well, what have we done? Almost like Alec Guinness, by the way, right? Uh, bridge over the River Kwai, uh, what have I done? And uh, because I know you're a cultural uh, uh, <laughs> aficionado. But these guys at GameStop, I think they're funny. I mean, I don't know. I have this image. It's like Mo, Mo Shemp. I don't know. I mean, uh, uh, maybe it's uh, Abbott. I mean, what? Maybe, maybe it's Naven Johnson, right? Remember Naven? I always thought that Nave, the cans, yes. the cans. I mean, right now at GameStop, Naven Johnson is sitting down with Mo, Larry, and Curly and saying, should we do, should we offer stuff? No, they're like, <laughs> so anyway, that's my image of what's going on wow. at the board level of GameStop. Wow. By the way, David, I want to make well, one thing clear. There was a clear. lot of references there. Some you went the, from the jerk, from the river, uh, the bridge over the river, quiet, the bridge to the jerk, quiet. to the, well, yeah, I to try the to three stooges, I know. To be able to um, yeah, what's the, what's the last um, point? Because we're going well, to get to Jared let, Bernstein in a minute. they've been ill-advised. Yeah. Uh, well, listen, I, I understand the heat you get. I can't even imagine how you deal with it, given the bit that I got huh. on Twitter as a result of just having the audacity to suggest that sometimes deals aren't done until they're Till they're done, and that, of course, the case well, in CCIV, for oh, example, okay, which I mean, is, by on. the way, up. Which go and we asked Peter Rawlinson about it. You know, you do you do tend to wonder how you get a deal done when you initially were negotiating at one valuation for a company, for example, but then you watch the the stock of said SPAC skyrocket, reflecting the right. view of investors that the company is obviously worth potentially a lot more when it's been rumored that that's going to be the, the merger you're going to do. So then do you say, well, you know, if you're 15 billion originally, are you at 45 billion now if you're Rawlinson? Obviously, he wouldn't answer anything, uh, Jim. But we all know SPACs continue to be another area of key speculation. I heard you talking with Andrew about it on your tease there on on uh, Squawk Box as well. Omar Ishrock out with his. Uh, A-Rod, of course, pricing his $500 million SPAC, Carl, uh, as well. And then we got right. other ones coming. We got flying cars. We got electric planes. We got all sorts of stuff coming for SPAC land. Just can't wait. Yeah, you know, we're going to have Garrett Bernstein in a second, but, you know, Larry Kudlow has a SPAC. 
Yes, with Wilbur Ross. He's on the he's on the board of the Wilbur Ross back. I I pointed that out that day. I, I think it was Monday this week. Yeah. Do you have to be involved with the SPAC if you do the SPAC? Do you have to be involved with it? Yeah. In some you way. have to be involved. You've you got to be involved in the process oh, of picking the target. It, t- yes. Not in running I, the I company, the time but in picking the target company. Yes. Uh, in taking the money. Oh, I'm sorry, target. You're absolutely right. Well, you know, we got to go back to Carl. I'm just a little confused about the time that people have to spend on their SPAC. Yeah, Jim, we're, we're in a new period. We'll talk about that in a minute. As David said, we want to get to the jobs number and bring in Jared Bernstein, of course, a uh, new member of the Council of Economic Advisors. By the way, Jared, congratulations. Good to have you. you. My pleasure. Um, so the first read on the number is, um, given the weakness in hotels and restaurants and bars, that the print sort of reflects a period uh, last month when things were closing and that we're already back to a reopening phase. Is the number stale? I don't think so. I think today's jobs report shows that the U.S. job creation machine uh, stalled over the past few months. And this underscores the urgent need uh, for the president's American Rescue Plan. Forty nine thousand jobs is far too low. But if you look at the private sector, it's only six thousand in January. That's essentially zero. When you factor in the negative revisions, which are important and uh, 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 about one hundred and sixty thousand, that's a negative uh, over the past three months. Payroll job gains have been 29,000. Now back that up to the prior three months, it was over a million. That is a massive downshift in job gains. And it it just shows you the extent to which the air pocket has uh, really significantly dampened uh, the employment creation function. And so the necessity, the urgency, uh, the steep cost of inaction around the American Rescue Plan are very much, I think, amplified by this jobs report. Does the argument for more more stimulus or at least a high number on the stimulus package, Jared, get more complicated when you've got the savings rate in double digits, ISM services two year high, a return to job growth, tepid though it may be? Yeah, that's a very important and a fair question. And the reason why uh, the answer is that none of those statistics uh, uh, push uh, anywhere near against the urgency of the plan is because we are deeply into a K-shaped recovery. You know, we can talk about GDP, we can talk about the stock market, but we also need to talk about rising poverty. We need to talk about 24 million people facing hunger, evictions, foreclosures. Uh, You know, there are still, even even with the uh, unemployment rate today, there are still 10 million people unemployed. Black and Hispanic unemployment rates are highly elevated, around 9%, 40%. This is a very high number of the 10 million unemployed are long-term unemployed persons. That means they're stuck in joblessness for at least six months. So if you look at the people who are suffering the brunt of the virus and its economic impact, it's folks on the bottom leg of the K, the the folks who are targeted by this American Rescue Plan. All right, Jared, this is what's so disturbing to me. So many people got money who have jobs. So many people got money who frankly are doing well. And and then the people who aren't got the same amount of money. Isn't it time to recognize, just as you just talked about the K economy, let's flood the zone of people who aren't doing well. Let's flood the zone of minority businesses that have been hurt more than, than businesses for people who actually we know are doing better. Why can't we just make it so that the people who need it get the money and the rest of the people just continue to lead their lives? Yeah, so first of all, let me underscore, elevate, and amplify one thing you just talked about, minority businesses. We know for a fact that... Uh, 
uh, persons of color, entrepreneurs of color, communities of color were tremendously underserved uh, by the uh, uh, business, uh, uh, business relief, the Paycheck Act. Now, the, the, the president, when he was campaigning, was always leading with this point when he talked to us on the phone about the problems that were ongoing. And so in the American Rescue Plan, uh, the uh, business relief is, is acutely targeted at uh, businesses uh, of persons of color. So that, that, I think, is a real advance. On your other point, again, if you listen to President Biden, he does talk about people who are in the middle class who are struggling, and he is 100% correct about that. You can still have a job, but you've lost hours, you've lost wages, you haven't been able necessarily to make your rent. You might be in mortgage forbearance, which means at the end of this period, you're going to be faced with a big bill. So I think some of these elevated savings rates among middle class families who often have zero or negative saving rates, to me, that's a feature, not a bug. All right. So, Jared, let's talk about certain industries that have been decimated. The restaurant industry has been decimated. The people going out, travel. Is there anything more that should be done there? Uh, can we make it so that there are grants, maybe new? Uh, you have such great small business people in the administration where there can be applications targeted to be able to say, you know what? When we're vaccinated, we want to reopen. Could you give us a no interest loan, a low interest loan? Get people back in the cities because, again, the minority businesses were the ones that were yeah. struggling and they were doing great. And then they just got crushed and we got to reopen them. You are so right about this. And, you know, even with low borrowing rates, uh, there are many businesses for whom uh, a grant just makes tons of sense and, and a loan is a very heavy lift. So I share I share that. And in the American Rescue Plan, trust me, uh, we dig deep into precisely that problem. I think what all of this does and today's jobs plan, today's jobs report is just, I think, such a powerful uh, data point in this argument. It just underscores the cost of inaction. I mean, when you're adding twenty nine thousand jobs a month on average over the past three months, that is a labor market stall. We have in the wings a plan that can finally get American businesses and families to the other side of this crisis and finally control the virus and distribute the vaccine to, to launch a robust uh, recovery, one that's inclusively uh, and racially equitable in, in precisely the way, Jim, you're calling for. So th this this report underscores the urgency of the American Rescue Plan. Hey, Jared, it's David. Uh, an advantage for us, perhaps a disadvantage for you, is that we've been talking to you for years and having a conversation that's been ongoing. So I happen True. to know how important you have viewed infrastructure spending for many years. And I wonder, if you guys push through a $1.9 trillion plan under budget reconciliation, what does that mean for your hopes of getting infrastructure done as your next thing? Or and or why not have sort of in, uh, incorporated infrastructure in some way in the current bill and try and get it all done at once? My hopes couldn't be higher about uh, getting a, an infrastructure bill down the road. But who cares about my hopes? It's, uh, it's, it's the president's hopes that matter most. And, and, and trust me, he shares my view on this, or I should say I share his view. And, and here's why. You know, I used to testify in Congress uh, in the Trump years. And after that testimony, I remember vividly once a couple of Republicans, I won't name the members of Congress, pulled me over and said, Democrat, come here. And uh, what they wanted to talk about was they wanted to do an infrastructure plan, but President Trump never gave them anything. I mean, his plan wasn't even an asterisk. It was, it was just fluff. President Biden and our economic team, our Department of Transportation, uh, we are already working on a robust infrastructure plan. And you don't make any guarantees in politics, so I'm not going to guarantee you. 
But I believe that that plan will get bipartisan support, and I'll be happy to come back here uh, and, really? uh, more and, than, and evaluate More than 60 that. votes, Jared? More than 60 votes? Or are you going to have to do it again under trying to do not it under... Count, I'm not going to count noses, but I am confident uh, that Republicans uh, have, have a real interest in, uh, in, in doing more on infrastructure and investment in public goods, given how deeply we have ignored that. And that is at the core of a Biden Building Back Better agenda. First, we have to enact the American Rescue Plan, the fiscal relief to get to the other side of that crisis, and then it's Build Back Better time when we start to focus not just on recovery, on recovery, but on a much more robust, resilient, and racially inclusive recovery. Hey, finally, Jared, uh, two quick ones from me. One is there's a headline that Pelosi's under pressure to separate vaccine funding from broader COVID relief. Is that getting any oxygen? I haven't heard anything about it. Look, to me, that strikes of kind of the wait and see problem, which is exactly mm -hmm. why we're looking at a, a jobs report that has uh, 6,000 jobs in the private sector, 29,000 jobs over the past three, three months. That's a job stall. That is the result of an air pocket caused by inaction and wait and see. We can't afford to do that again. And the American Rescue Plan is calibrated uh, to reverse that, uh, that uh, damaging trend. Okay. And then finally, any readout at all from Yellen's meeting with regulators on uh, market volatility? I have no readout on that. Others might. All right. Uh, Jared, it's great to have you. Appreciate the, the guidance coming out of the number. Have a good weekend. Thank you. You too. All right, Jared Bernstein. We'll take a break here. Obviously, markets coming off the initial highs. Big morning of interviews. Uh, Jim Farley of Ford, Eric Nordstrom, first interview since becoming CEO, Evan Spiegel of Snap, and John Foley of Peloton. Don't go away. Shares of Exxon, they were up sharply, of course. Uh, in, in part, we, we discussed it, guys. You know, oil has been quite strong. Uh, but this also because of this continuing thing that I've been focused on, of course. Uh, Bloomberg reported this. I can confirm it as well. Uh, Jeff Ubbin, somebody, of course, uh, some of our viewers may know well, somebody I know well, um, last associated with Nikola, uh, you may recall, of course, but also having a very large fund. Remember, he's been the founder of Value Act. He left. He's got inclusive capital, a large ESG-focused fund. And they are in talks um, about at least considering bringing him on the board of directors. That would be quite a move for Exxon, uh, one would have to say, um, given Ubbin's view of the industry and what needs to be done there to position it properly for the future. We talk about it quite often, uh, Jim. Um, I mean, not that Darren Woods hasn't given voice to many of these things, not that they aren't focused to a certain extent on carbon capture. They're way ahead of everybody in terms of certain technological breakthroughs, although they continue to invest in that. But, you know, there is a lot of uh, tension still about their capital spending plan. As I pointed out, it's not just Engine One and Calsters. It's also D.E. Shaw that's been a part of this conversation. They didn't go after nominating anybody for the board, but they certainly are behind this idea of having Mr. Oven join and making a large investment potentially as well. So that may be contributing to Exxon's move up. Although, to be fair, Chevron is also up nicely this morning. Exxon, though, has been, Jim, outperforming Chevron for a bit of time now. Uh, as well, perhaps in the hopes yeah, yes. that things are changing. 
I'm beginning to get uh, very impressed with the things that Darren Woods is doing. Darren Woods, the CEO, uh, got a hand that was just okay. Uh, Mike Worth's hand's a little bit better. Mike Worth got a lot of growth at Chevron. Uh, David, Jeffrey Ubbin would come in, and he could say, listen, in order to get Exxon right, we have to do this carbon capture. We've got to be able to be the leader. We have to lower our uh, emissions, our methane, more than we even think we do. I don't know, David. I, I, you gotta. Pe- can people change stri- uh, stripes? This is a this is David. This is a different Exxon. I'm liking what I hear. They put they put Ubin on, and yeah. suddenly what you have is a company that that says, "Wow, we're gonna change. I yeah. want change. They're I, gonna give it to you." Be interesting to see that boardroom with him in there uh, as well. Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, we'll see if they can get there. Um, I could I could imagine reasons they might be somewhat resistant to it. Uh, but you're right. Uh, Jim, it is a company. Listen, there's so many different things here that are wrapped up in Exxon in terms of the the growth, of course, of EV. Although even when you look at the projections, it's still not as though 50 percent of the energy mix, even by 2040, is not going to be um, not going to be gas. There's a lot of different components here, depletion curves and all sorts of other things you need to look at in terms of how they try to figure out how they're going about, Carl, choosing to spend their money right now and preserve their dividend, which, of course, they continue to do. It's quite a quite a significant uh, yield, though, far less than it had been when the stock was at its lows not that long ago. Over to you. Yeah. yeah. What a week of spend for Exxon developments. I got record highs this morning on the S&P, the Nasdaq, the Russell. Uh, Dow needs about another hundred points to get one of its own. We're back in just a moment. Got some volatility in GameStop this morning. Uh, bounced right off an early morning low of 51, uh, up 37%. Currently halted at 73.40. Got something to watch this morning on this Friday. Don't go anywhere. Let's get to Jim and stop trading. We talk about electric vehicles all the time. Well, how about hydrogen? If you like hydrogen and ultimately think there'll be green hydrogen, the stock to buy is Lindy, L-I-N, a remarkable quarter last night. Steve Angel doing terrifically. They're crushing air products in terms of their competitors. This is the way to play it and not have as much risk. And I know a lot of people like risk. That's plug power. If you don't want risk, you buy Lindy. All right, Jim, I know you got uh, EL tonight, which uh, I believe was helping to lead the S&P a moment ago. It should be uh, Fabrizio Freire. Fabrizio's a genius, okay? First time on CNBC. Uh, Sanofi, well, you know, they've got vaccines. They're a very broad uh, pharmaceutical company. And then Brunswick, are people still going to vote after we get jabbed? I think the answer is yes. Look at that stock. Guys, what a fabulous week. Thank you so much for letting me come from my home. But you know you can't keep me away next week. Yeah, well, you're going to come back, I think, right? We'll talk Ford uh, later on this morning. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I'm going to rip the stitches out and then do forward because it's time to play the game. All right? No more. No more hurt. I'm not on IR, for heaven's sake. I'm not on the pop list. I love you guys. Jim, we'll see you in a little bit. Uh, obviously, Mad Money's tonight, 6 p.m. Eastern time. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. 
Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.